Let's try it again, okay? We want to welcome all of you to Grace Church here on Arno Road, 4052 Arno Road here in Franklin, Tennessee. We welcome all of you who are tuning in by the internet, and we welcome those who are worshiping here with us this morning. We have Bible classes at 10 o'clock. We have a Bible study on Tuesday evenings at 645, and we have worship here on Sunday mornings at 1045. We're glad to have you. We're going to open the services today with a hymn uh, led by Brother Joshua Waltz, and that song is... 87, Joy to the World. All right, Joy to the World. Good morning, everybody. 87 in the hymnal, if you'd like to use it, and let's stand up and sing Joy to the World. My sinuses are still clearing out from a cold, so hopefully, hopefully you can understand my singing. <laughs> 87, joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love wonders of his love and wonders wonders of his love amen let the lord's people say amen to that amen you all can be seated good to see all of you today we are going to observe the Lord's Supper today because this is the first Sunday of the month. And I believe they announced last week, I hope everyone got it, that we will not have a fellowship dinner today after the services because of an event that we will have on the 16th of December, which they'll tell you about that, I'm sure, in the announcements today. Our Lord Jesus Christ sat down with his disciples on the eve of the Passover to observe the Passover. 
and there made himself known to them as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not just the, re the releases some people from Egypt, but releases us from the judgment that is coming. We observe this Lord's Supper, celebrating our salvation in the death of our Savior on the first Sunday of each month. I will be reading in a few minutes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we read of the instructions that Paul the Apostle received regarding the observation of the Lord's Supper. Since the coronavirus, we have served the Lord's Supper in a different manner, letting each of you come forward to receive, uh, to pick up some bread and some wine, return back to your seats, and uh, we will do that again today. So let's stand together first, and then we'll have prayer, and then we'll let you proceed and pick up two cups. One cup will have the bread, and one cup will have the uh, wine. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, who gave himself for us, whom we worship as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Each of us professes to have our sins taken away by faith in him. We are thankful that we have a hope, a hope of victory over death and victory while we live in this world. We can say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we ask that you would uh, honor what we're going to do here as we seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you sent into the world to be the Savior, the Deliverer, the Redeemer of your people. We ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. We ask it for his sake. Amen. All right, and you can begin coming now if you'd like. Reading from the Gospel of John or of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Pilate gave sentence. that he should be crucified. And he released unto them Barabbas, the one who for sedition and murder had been cast into prison, the one they desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming, in the which they shall bless, say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bear, and the breast that never gave 
suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death, and when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and beginning in verse 23, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, Take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. The, body, the bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. After the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that having taken a body, he was willing to lay it down for our sakes. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Our Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will sanctify to our souls that which we have done in remembering the great sacrifice, the suffering, the whole ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ for such sinners as we are that when we were yet without Christ, we were without hope, we were without God in the world, you did send your Son to be our substitute, to take upon himself all of our sins, and to give to us through faith in him his righteousness. Oh, how wonderful is thy salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the prophets and then was seen in the apostles and brought to us in truth, in word, in deed, in Jesus as our Messiah. I ask you, bless us this morning as we attempt to worship you and praise you and study your word. We ask it in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. When the services are over, of course, you can take those cups and put them in the pew there in front of you if you'd like to do that. But when they're over, you could bring them up to the front and uh, put them back in these uh, plates that hold them here. Glad to see all of you who are here today. And we have a couple of people who have asked 
to be able to speak to the congregation and to give a word of encouragement uh, to all of you. So I'm going to, Brother Turner, would you take this microphone and send it maybe down there. Uh, now, some of you may choose to stay where you are, but if you do, this year because obviously I don't have much voice um, so back in March I um, went through a pretty bad car wreck and totaled my truck played pinball inside the vehicle a very limited amount of fun but the way that it happened it was undeniable that God had his hands on it the entire time I just had to lift up his name and give praise and thanks for that and for the way that he protected us, that we truly have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And this last, well, about three years ago, like an idiot, I got very discouraged, picked up smoking again. Um, I kicked myself the whole time after that because I knew that I did not have the power to put it down. The first time I ever put it down, it took a case of viral pneumonia that had me down for a whole month. But I asked God, I said, Lord, please send the Holy Spirit with me. Give me the power to kick this. I haven't had a cigarette since last Tuesday. And not only that, but he's blocked everything. There's been no withdrawals, no addiction symptoms, no anything, no temptation. That's absolutely unheard of for me. So I just had to lift his name up and say thank you proclaim his greatness before everybody because that was just something I had to mention. So, thank you. Now, well, I think we have a couple of others, but let me give a little testimony myself. I told you about, um, I don't know what it was, a month ago? Older I get, I don't even know what day it is. A month ago, I told you I had two large kidney stones. I had a very large one in the right kidney. They said it was too large to pass. I was looking at surgery again. I had another one in the left kidney. And of course, I started praying about it and asked you guys to pray about it. Went back and had a CT scan last week, and uh, those two kidney stones are almost gone. Almost completely gone. The doctor said, my goodness, I thought maybe he had asked me what I'd been doing, but <laughs> He didn't do that, but he said, well, no need to worry about that. He said, we'll just see you next year Next year, when you come in and have, have a little checkup. So they keep it. So I, I praise the Lord for that. Thank you for praying for me. And thank you, uh, Douglas, for, for that word of encouragement. Anybody else want to say anything? Okay. All right.
All right, anybody else? Okay, come on up, Ruby. Can you come up or you want to talk loud there? Okay. microphones, I'll tell you. Well, Ty, you've had successful eye surgery. How are you feeling? Good. Good. Okay. He, we want to praise the Lord for that. He had a second uh, retinal surgery on his other eye, and we appreciate Ty and Charlene and their family. Thankful the Lord was merciful to you and gave you a good surgeon. We keep praying until you're completely healed. All right, Brother Ed. I'll just give you an update on what's been going on with us. Um, <clears throat> as you know, we were supposed to go to have surgery to have my stomach removed for the cancer. We had stage two stomach cancer. Um, when we went in, he opened me up and he found a lot more cancer than they originally thought. There was cancer in my pancreas, my large intestines, my small intestines. And <clears throat> it turns out he said it didn't show up on a PET scan originally. But uh, he said, you're you actually stage four cancer. So um, when he went to take my stomach out, I mean, I got a scar from here to here. He, uh, when he opened me up, he saw that cancer, but he couldn't tell if it was alive or if it was dead. So instead of taking the stomach out, he, he just took biopsies, tissue after tissue after tissue after tissue. He took a lot of biopsies. So we waited a couple of weeks to get the results back. And when we went to see the oncologist, he said, there's no cancer. It's totally gone. So I said, well, what about the stomach? He goes, there's nothing there. He goes, I've got to tell you, I'm totally blown away by your results. He says, you are on this side of the spectrum. Most people are way out here. And he said, if, if like the, the, the surgeon, he's, a, he's supposed to be the best surgeon around, and he said he didn't know if he could take all the cancer out that was in me, and if he did, my life would have been a zero. So um, I told him, I said, well, I'll tell you something. I said, we've had people praying from Michigan all the way to Florida, individuals, churches, a lot of people praying. And he says, well, you know, the Lord couldn't work through chemotherapy. I said, I don't know what he worked through, but I know who worked it, and it was the Lord. So, praise the Lord for all he's done, and we're here. Now, Ed, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard that the surgeon that opened you up, generally, if he sees anything, he takes everything out, and that's it. 
So it was kind of a miracle right there that he didn't do that, that he closed you back up and wanted to take another look. That's correct, isn't it? That's what I'd heard. <laughs> okay, you know, uh, we don't really think about it till we're sick, but uh, you don't appreciate the summertime until you get in the heart of the winter, 18 degrees below zero and all of that stuff, and then you say, man, I'm, I th I'm thankful for the summer. And most of the time, we don't really appreciate our health until we have some problems. Appreciate those of you who have shared your testimony today, and we give the Lord the praise and the honor and the glory for it. And like he said, he can use anything he wants to use, but uh, we know who effects the healing. We believe our Lord does that, okay? All right, we're going to let uh, Brother Todd come up and do the announcements, and then we're going to sing What a Mighty God We Serve, okay? morning. Good to see all you here, and thanks to, to those of you who shared this morning with us. That's certainly encouragement for all of us to hear. <clears throat> Marilyn Prince is doing much better from her RSV. Uh, matter of fact, I think she's about over it completely, but Tom now has it, and so we want to continue to remember him before the Lord. It's not accompanied with any pneumonia or anything like that, which is good, uh, so let's continue to remember them. They are thankful for all of those who reached out to them and offered <clears throat> to bring food or to do other things on their behalf, so thank you for that. We want to continue to remember Terry Rayburn, who is said to be in serious condition as he continues to battle cancer. Let's ask the Lord to intervene on his behalf. For those of you who did not hear when Benny spoke in the background there, and those of you watching via the internet, he had an arteriogram recently, and they said that they have no concerns, that everything his body is doing is self-correcting the concerns that they had, and what little is there they're going to treat with medication. So we certainly are thankful for that. We also want to continue to remember Judy and Lee Barton. Lee's condition remains unchanged uh, from the last time that we updated you on that. His injection that he had with hopes of giving him some relief from his neuropathy did not have any effect, and his shingles also is still causing him some, some problems. So let's continue to remember him. He is going to resume chemo treatments this week, uh, so let's especially lift him up before the Lord, that the Lord would be pleased to use whatever means uh, he chooses uh, to heal Lee completely. As you mentioned, Ty Bollinger is here. We're thankful that he's had successful surgery on this detached retina. Pray that you, the Lord would continue to heal him. Uh, certainly remember Ad Adamowitz, <clears throat> uh, Shirley Murphy. I don't see her here today. Not, her, Shirley's not feeling well today, so let's remember her. Okay, said she was at the hospital for a few hours this week for observation, but has been sent home. Let's continue to remember her. Also, it's good to see Marie Dalton here, <clears throat> Sue Martin, continue to remember her before the Lord. We also want to remember David Simmons, who has kidney cancer, and also Shannon Hazelwood's stepfather, who is having some medical issues. And we want to remind you of the Christmas dinner fellowship that we're going to have coming up on December the 16th here at the church from 5 to 8 p.m. We encourage you all to join us for that. And if you are you or your child are taking part in the Christmas program, next Sunday, immediately following church, there will be a meeting and a time of rehearsal for that. So please make plans for those of you who are participating in the program. 
Finally, I want to remind you that if you want to support the Ministry of Grace Church, you can do so by placing your gifts and offerings in the box located in the foyer. Also, if you want a copy of any of our messages here, you can fill out a slip on the table, and Lord willing, your CD or DVD will be ready next week. I said finally earlier, but it's finally this time. We do want to remind you of our Tuesday evening Bible study that happens here each Tuesday at 645. Encourage you to make plans to join us for that. Some rich studies that we've been having. And uh, continue to always ask the Lord to bless our pastor as he diligently studies to prepare the word for us uh, twice each week. Thank you. All right, well, let's sing What a Mighty God We Serve. Let's all stand together. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Heaven and earth adore him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus, 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 oh, amen. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. I will call I will call upon for he is worthy to for he is worthy to be I will call upon his I will call upon for he is worthy to be he is worthy to Hosanna Blessed be the rock Blessed be the rock of my salvation Hosanna Blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before Him, heaven and earth adore Him. What a mighty God we serve. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Amen. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. 
is here, not that y'all are old, but <laughs> this young lady over here, I taught her kindergarten, um, Sunday school, across the street. We had these buttons that said, Sunday school is awesome. And would you believe she still has hers? That's how much of an impression you make on kids. You know that? Sunday school is awesome. You still have it, don't you? I think it's somewhere. Somewhere. You told me you had it. She's got a daughter older than she was when I taught her. But God is good, and his word endures forever. Right? Right. <laughs> All right, open your Bibles, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Good to see all of you who are here today, and we welcome those of you who are tuning in on the Internet, and we're going to have the fifth study today, only one or two more, and then we'll be talking about the birth of the Lord on the return of the Messiah. Today I'd like to begin to consider some facts about the temple. Matthew's Gospel, I said chapter 24, and that's where we are, but we're going to begin reading in chapter 23. Chapter 23. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stone them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth until you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now chapter 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you see all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? May the Lord add his blessings on his word. And let us pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. I ask you to bless it this morning. Open up our hearts that we might understand the things that are written there for our admonition and for our warning, for our correction, and for our rebuke. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it for his sake. And let God's people say praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see all of you today. We read here. In chapter 24, that Jesus went out of and departed from the temple for the last time. And in departing, he uttered a prophecy, a prediction, and a curse upon Jerusalem, 
and upon the temple there. Here are seven observations briefly and quickly. Number one, from verse 37 of chapter 23, he said, Jerusalem has utterly rejected the prophets sent to them. When you reject the prophets, you reject the Word of God because that's what they brought. They brought the Word of God. Number two, from verse 37, he said, In rejecting the prophets, you rejected the God who sent those prophets. Number three, from verse 37, he said, In rejecting the God who sent those prophets, you rejected the Messiah of whom they spoke and who was the last prophet sent to them. Verse 38 of chapter 23, he said, In rejecting their Messiah, they cursed themselves. Verse 39, In cursing themselves, they sealed their fate. They sealed their fate. Number six, in sealing their fate, they sealed the fate of the temple also. And that is in the first two verses of chapter 24. And then the remainder of the chapter, verse 3 through 51, in light of the sealing of the fate of Israel and the temple, Jesus gave great revelation concerning the details of their future and the future of the world. Now let's think about the temple for just a moment. The temple for the Jew was the epicenter. It was the focal point. It was the core of his prophecies, the, our Lord's prophecies and predictions and curse. And it was what he had to say centered around that temple and Jerusalem. The first temple was built almost a thousand years before Christ, about 957 B.C. That's 957 years before Christ came. Solomon built the first temple. That first temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Then 513 years later, around somewhere around to what I could find, 444 years before Christ, a fellow named Nehemiah, have you read his book? <laughs> it's in the Bible. A fellow named Nehemiah was released from captivity by the Persian king Artaxerxes and he is allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And he not only rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, but he also supervised the rebuilding of the temple. And his comrades were Jewish exiles who had returned to Jerusalem from Babylon under the authority of an appointed governor named Zerubbabel. Now this project, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the temple, is the subject 
of at least three books in the Old Testament, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai. Then we move forward about 424 years, 20 years before our Lord Jesus Christ was born. Herod the Great, who was the king of Judea, began a renovation project of that second temple. And he greatly expanded the temple that had been put back together by Nehemiah and his crew. And the Bible tells us that Herod began the reconstruction of that temple in 20 B.C., 20 years before Christ was born. And it was 46 years later before it was completed. He doubled the size of the temple area and he surrounded everything with a retaining wall with gates. In 70 A.D., after our Lord has been here, after he has taught and after he has died and after he has resurrected, 70 A.D., during the first Jewish-Roman War, when the Roman soldiers were under the command of Titus, they broke through the siege of Jerusalem and they destroyed right to the ground that temple. And it is said that they destroyed the temple, did such a thorough job of destroying the temple in order to break the Jewish will for fighting. If the temple is gone, what do they have to fight about? The temple was thoroughly de demolished and it was set on fire. In large parts of that temple, both inside and outside, were covered with sheets of gold. And additionally, that temple served as the treasury of the Jewish nation. So that means there was a lot of gold and silver and everything else inside of that temple. The fire that the Romans set to that temple melted the gold and the other precious metals and the gold ran between the cracks and the crevices of the stones of the temple. And the Romans forced the Jewish captives to uproot every stone of the temple and every stone of the city to get the gold out of it that had melted into it. Thus was brought to pass... The saying of our Savior right here in Matthew 24, that not one stone, verse 2, would be left upon another, that all would be thrown down. This brought to pass our Savior's prophecy in exactness, exactly what he said. The temple was rebuilt at least three times. Officially, the city of Jerusalem suffered total destruction. The city whose name means city of peace, I guess you know that, Jerusalem, is interpreted in two words, means city of peace. That city has never known peace. 
And it will never know peace until it confesses Jesus as the Prince of Peace. This is what he says here. He says, I say to you that you'll not see me again, verse 39 of chapter 23, until you say, blessed. And I told you the word blessed there is the word, the Greek word from whence we get our word eulogy. When you eulogize someone at a memorial service or at a funeral, you say a good word about them. So he said, you're not going to see me again until you eulogize me, until you bless me, until you say, I am your Messiah. That temple and the city of Jerusalem has never known peace, will never know peace, until it acknowledges the one who is the Prince of Peace, the only one who can make peace between heaven and earth, between nations and nations, and the only one who can bring peace to the human heart. No world, no nation, no individual will ever know peace unless and until that world or that individual or that person knows Jesus. Not just knows about him, but knows him. The temple was destroyed at least three times. And the city of Jerusalem, since Jesus was there and it rejected him as the Messiah, has been attacked 52 times, besieged 23 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, and totally leveled to the ground twice. Now that temple, as I say, was vital. It was central to Jerusalem and to its inhabitants. But that temple was also very important in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he was eight days old, according to Luke chapter 2, he was circumcised at the temple. After he was baptized of John the Baptist and officially entered into his ministry, he did much of his healing in the temple. Matthew 21, 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. He did much of his teaching in the temple. Matthew 21, 23, when he was coming to the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching. John 7, 14, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. John 8, 2, early in the morning, he came to the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. Important revelation about who Jesus was was given in the temple. John chapter 8, verses 7 through 20, it was in the temple that the Father bore witness of him that he was his son. It was in the temple in John chapter 10 that Jesus claimed equality with the Father. I and the Father are one. And they picked up stones to stone him. He said, for which of the works that I've done do you stone me? And they said, we are not stoning you for a good work, but because you being a man make yourself God. That all took place in the temple. Jesus severely rebuked the Jews for using the temple to justify their covetousness and greed. If you have your Bibles open, look back to chapter 23 again. Chapter 23, verse 16. Woe unto you, you blind guides, 
would say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor, ye fools and blind. What is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, verse 18, it is nothing. But whosoever swears by the gift that's upon it, he's guilty. Verse 19, you fools and blind, what is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Verse 20, whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar, swears by it and by all things that are on it. And whosoever swears by the temple, swears by it and by him that dwells therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him that sits unto there, sits on that throne. Jesus didn't like the commercialization of the house of God. Though the Jews pretended great reverence for the temple, they turned it into a place of business. And worship was commercialized, much as we're doing today in America. And just as modern Israel is presently doing. And so Jesus went to the temple. If you'll turn back to Matthew chapter 21, I'm trying to keep it where we don't have to turn very far to look at things. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 12, Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that were selling and buying in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. He ran in and grabbed those tables and violently overturned them. He didn't just come in and say, oh, excuse me, I, think, I don't think you should be doing this in the temple. People picture Christ as some little white-handed, meek, livid. No, sir. He grew up in a carpenter shop. He had rough hands. He had calluses on his hands. He was a man's man. He was not a sissy. He was not an effeminate person. And he overthrew those tables of the money changers, verse 12, and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. Same thing's going on today. Same thing's going on today. Jesus, the gospel, and worship is commercialized today in the United States and throughout the world. And also in Israel. Would you like to take a trip to Israel? Would you like to walk where Jesus walked? Would you like to take the very path he took as he made his way to Calvary, the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering? Just fork over a few thousand dollars and we'll make it happen. And while you're there, you can buy Bibles and crosses made of olive wood from the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and sweat great drops of blood. Ancient Israel turned the temple into a commercial force. Listen, modern Israel's greatest draw, greatest commercial draw today is Jesus. Millions and millions of dollars are made off of Jesus and relics which supposedly are somehow related to him and to his person and to his ministry. And it's no different here in the United States. Churches have become concert halls. 
and preachers and teachers sell trips to Israel and gospel music has become a force to be reckoned with. And if you win a Dove Award, you're at the top of your game in the gospel business. I remember when Oral Roberts, who claimed to kill to heal thousands of people, when he had heart problems, guess what happened to him? He went to a hospital and had surgery. I remember, I remember watching on a black and white TV, my mother sitting over here boohooing and crying, Oral Roberts, a line a half a mile long coming into a tent for him to lay hands on him. I remember when he made hundreds of thousands of dollars off prayer cloths and anointing oil. In modern 21st century churches and so-called Christian colleges and universities have become the temples of American religion. Going on right here in Nashville, hey, in December, there are going to be 12 performances by Amy Grant and Vince Gill, Christmas at the Ryman. All About Jesus is another one. This is the Jesus Concert at Belmont University. Tickets began at $32 and go up to $66. And you hear all about Jesus and how people sing about Jesus and talk about Jesus being born in the world. And let's keep him like that little baby. Let's keep him there in the manger. I, I clicked on the performances by Amy Grant and Vince Gill, Christmas at the Ryman, and the tickets were sold out for the first few performances, but they have 12 shows playing, so maybe you can get in. This is Jesus' concert at Belmont University. Here's what they said here. I'm quoting Ring in the Christmas season with a soul-stirring event of five of live music and worship presented by Refuge Media Group starring celebrated recording artist, songwriter, and six times Dove recipient. Taryn Wells with singer, songwriter, and 2022 Billboard and chart breaker Katie Nichol, an inspiring and gifted songwriter and singer and chart topping recording artist Jordan Smith, winner of season nine of The Voice. This is Jesus' concert, is a concert and worship event designed to help individuals feel, that's the big word, feel the unparalleled love of Jesus. You ain't going to feel the love of Jesus unless you get in his word and find out what he says and who he is. I can give you a feeling, I'll give you some gas and you'll feel good. Won't have anything to do with Jesus though. Unparalleled the love of Jesus and foster a spirit of unity upon, among believers. You know what that means? That means drop all your convictions when you walk through the door and throw the Bible out. That unity, that's the big word. This production features award-winning musicians and internationally recognized recording artists from the contemporary Christian market. Now you have a gospel market out there. And beyond, you know what beyond means? That means they're going to have a lot of musicians, a lot of people there don't even profess to be Christians. 
supported by a live band, multi-denominational choir, and dynamic multimedia elements. You know what multimedia elements mean? That's strobe lights. That's flashing lights. We ought to have flashing lights in here while I'm preaching. Darken the windows where it looks like hell in here and have smoke coming up. Do you know there are churches that are doing that? Supported by a live band, multi-denominational choir, dynamic multimedia elements. Now listen now, everybody's got to pay to get in though. Children ages two, two and older must have a ticket. Children under two years of age may sit on a lap without a ticket. Well, bless their hearts. They're going to let in a one-year-old, won't charge you a thing. If you miss all that, you can go December the 9th and see Matthew West at Belmont University. Tickets start at $52. Might even have Jesus sitting next to Santa and Mrs. Claus. The temple meant everything to the Jews because they thought it gave them a monopoly on salvation and direct access to the God of Abraham. They thought so much of the temple, so much was a reverence for the temple. Look in Matthew chapter 26, please. I'm going to ask the fellows upstairs, you might can put this on the screen. I don't know if you can or not. Not this passage. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 59. I don't have to put this one up there, Brother Dale, but I'm going to call out one in a minute in John chapter 2. Matthew 26, verse 59. <clears throat> the chief priests and the elders and all the councils sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but they found no false witnesses. Though many false witnesses came, verse 60. They found none. At last, two false witnesses came forward. This is what they said, verse 61. They said, this fellow, speaking of Jesus, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Oh, my gosh, don't talk about touching the temple. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing to these charges? What is it once these witnesses witness against you? Now, let me show you what the truth of this is. In the Gospel of John chapter 2, if you want to turn over, they may can put it on the board. We'll start with verse 13. John chapter 2 and verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, verse 14. And he found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money sitting there. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes, money, and overthrew their tables. How do you like to have all this money in four or five different little bowls there and somebody comes along and just throws it all on the floor? <laughs> Woo, that made me mad. It made them mad. And he said to them that sold doves, verse 16, take these things out of here. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Watch this now. 
And his disciples remembered that it was written, written in Psalm 69.9. You probably have a note there. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up, and then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign did you show us, seeing you do these things? Now just tell us, who did you go down to the city hall in Franklin and get a written permission slip to do this? That's what they're asking. You have written permission from the authorities to do this. Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered, verse 19, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they said in verse 20, It took 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? But notice verse 21. But he spoke of the temple of his body. I raise this temple. This is where the glory of God is. It's not in this house. It's in him. When therefore he was risen from the dead, verse 22, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had said. So you see, they got these false witnesses to say that he said he was going to destroy the temple. Whoa, that was anathema. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 8, what do the Jews worship today? I'm going somewhere. Just stick with me for a few minutes. To them, the most holy place in the world today is a wall remotely related to the temple. They call it the Wailing Wall. Some of you have been there. Did you know that the Wailing Wall was not really a part of the temple? But just because it's near the side of the temple, it has become the holiest place on earth to the Jews. Now, in the interest of time, I'm going to tell you where this is, but I'm going to let you, uh, you can go back and read it on your, uh, on your own. In 1 Kings chapter 8, you will find 1 Kings chapter 8, the building of the temple by Solomon is recorded in verse uh, chapter 5 and 7, 1 Kings chapter 5, 6 and 7, you find the building of the temple by Solomon. Then chapter 8, Solomon brought the Ark of the Covenant, that's that little square box that represented the presence of God, from the city of David to the temple. Then he sacrificed thousands of oxen and sheep. Then the, the Ark was brought into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And the scripture says that when the priest exited the holy place, the glory of God's presence was so heavy that they couldn't even stand to minister. That's in chapter 8, verses 6 through 11. And then Solomon called upon the Lord to thank him for keeping his promises to David his father, he appealed to the Lord to hear from heaven when any man, whether stranger or Jew, prayed toward the temple. Okay? Solomon said, Lord, when they pray toward the temple, wherever they are in the world, whether they're a stranger, that is, a Gentile, or whether they're a Jew, hear them. And then in the ninth chapter, the Lord spoke to Solomon. And he assured Solomon that he had heard his prayer and that he would bless the temple as this special 
dwelling place. That's in chapter 9, 1 Kings chapter 9, the first three verses. He, he promises to bless Solomon and Israel as long as they walked in obedience. If you walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do all according that I have commanded thee <clears throat> and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever as I promised to David my fa thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. Then he goes on and says this, But if you shall at all turn from following me, are your children, and you will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, including the God of money, then I'll cut off Israel out of this land which I have given them, and this house, the temple, which I have hallowed for my name, set apart as holy for my name, I will cast it out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high, everyone that passes by it shall be astonished and shall hiss and shall say, Why has Jehovah done this unto this land and unto this house? Why did their God do them like this? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and they have taken hold upon other gods, and they have worshipped them, and they have served them. Therefore the Lord brought upon them all this evil. And we know that Solomon himself began to walk in disobedience to the Lord, and shortly after his death his kingdom was divided. And in spite of centuries of disobedience, Centuries of disobedience. The Lord sent prophet after prophet and wise man after wise man. But as Jesus said there in Matthew 24, you rejected all of them. And finally, he sent his only begotten son. And he was not only rejected, he was crucified. So if you go back to Matthew 27, as Jesus stood before the Jewish people and their leaders. Matthew 27. This is very important. I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 27, verse 22. Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus here when it's called Christ? They said, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, verse 23, Matthew 27, 23, Why, what evil has he done? that demands a death penalty. They cried out all the more. They said, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail, or rather a tumult was being made, they were getting disorderly. He took water, he washed his hands before the multitude, and he said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. Listen to this now. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. His blood be on us and our children. Just get rid of him. 
So listen to me, my friends, and I'm going to close with this this morning. The present state of the temple, so-called, in modern Israel, is not a testimony of the favor of God, but is a testimony of the judgment of God. It is not a testimony of Israel being in a state of grace in some special situation, but it is a testimony that Israel is yet under judgment. He said in Matthew 23, 38, your house is left unto you desolate. He said, you will not see me, you will not hear from me, I will not hear you, and I will not speak to you again until you say, blessed is he, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. And that has been true for 2,000 years, and it will remain true until Israel receives Jesus as their Messiah. My friends, all of that stuff in Israel is not a sign of the blessings. It is a sign that what Jesus said is true. That thing was devastated, and they're still over there at a wall that wasn't even part of the temple, stuffing prayers in there and praying to God. He will not hear them until they turn to his son. He's not going to hear you, and he's not going to hear me either until we turn to his son, until we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, let me hurry. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Let's see if I can finish at least this much of it. Romans chapter 11. We are encouraged in Psalm 122 and verse 6 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Have you ever heard that? They shall be blessed. They shall prosper, be prospered that love thee. That's what the Bible said. Psalm 122, verse 6. But we must remember that the blessing of Jerusalem means coming to faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord not praying at the wailing wall, not claiming to be kin to Abraham and therefore I have a ticket into heaven. No. Some Jews today, Romans 11, in fact, I would say many Jews today, many Jews all over the world are coming to Jesus as their Messiah. Several of them have books out there. I don't agree with everything they write in their books, but they do confess that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, you've got congregations all over the world popping up called Messianic congregations. I don't know if they think they have uh, something a little closer to God because they're Messianic congregations. That's what we are. We're a Messianic congregation, too. Because if you've got the Son of God, you've got everything. Well, some Jews are coming to Jesus as the Messiah, but the nation of Israel remains blinded. Now, let's look very quickly here. Verse 1, 
Not every single Jew has remained in darkness, Paul says, because he said, I believe Jesus is Messiah. Romans 11, verse 1, has God cast away his people? God forbid. I'm an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and the tribe of Benjamin. Paul said, I was, I'm a Jew, and the Lord has opened my eyes, so he hadn't cast out every single Jew. Okay? Verses 1 through 5, a number of Jews will be saved by the electing grace of God. He said, God has not cast away his people whence he foreknew. That is, there is a people within the nation of Israel that God's going to save. He said, don't you remember how Elijah made intercession to God against Israel? <laughs> said, Lord, they've killed their prophets. They've digged down their altars. I'm left alone. They're seeking my life. And what did God say to him? Verse 4, God said, oh, no, I've reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Literally, worship the devil. Even so, verse 5, at this present time, it was his present time when he wrote it in the first century, it's the present time in 2023. There is a remnant, generally a remnant was 10%, but we'll take that to mean a small number according to the election of grace. Then he goes on to say, if you're saved by grace, verse 6 and following, you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. So he so said, what can we say then? What about the blindness of Israel? What can we say about it? Verse 7. He said, Israel has not obtained, Israel as a nation has not obtained what he seeks for, but the election. Those who are elect within the nation, they have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. As it is written, this, this written from Psalm or uh, Isaiah 29:10. As it is written, God gave them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear unto this day. David said in Psalm 69:22, Let the table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. That's pretty tough. But then he says, their unbelief will not continue forever. Verse 11, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You see, because the Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah, then God sent the gospel through Paul and others to the Gentile world. And then he takes the Gentile world and their worship of the Lord to make the Jew jealous so he'll start looking into it and be saved. It's all in God's plan. That's what he says in verse 11. Their unbelief will not continue forever, but rather through their unbelief, the door by, of grace, the door of grace was opened to the Gentiles that they might in turn make the Jews jealous. And we see this happening today. And so he says in verse 12, if their fall, if their rejection of the Messiah has brought salvation to the Gentile world, what in the world will it be when God starts converting some of the Jews? If God has brought salvation to the Gentile world, 
for the last 2,000 years. For 2,000 years now, the Gentiles have been in the forefront. We have now what we call the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. So he said, if all of these millions of people and blessings have been brought to the world because of their fall, what will it be when God restores them? We'll have a revival in this world like we've never seen. Down in verse 15, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? How long will this blindness to Israel last? Will it ever end? Let me just read, and you read with me, beginning at verse 25, in the interest of time. Verse 25, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. Blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now listen to me. You can go out and get you some commentaries and study it on your own. <laughs> but when God has saved the last Gentile, he's going to save. He's going to open up the floodgates to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel, verse 26, shall be saved. It is written, there shall come out of Zion to deliver and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Verse 28, concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. He says there's going to come a time, and maybe it's beginning now, because Jews, by the droves, are coming to believe that Jesus is Messiah. He says in verse 29, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't say, oh, my goodness, I shouldn't have done that. I made a mistake. I'm going to have to take another path. No. The gifts, whatever God, gifts God has blessed us or the Jews with, the calling Without repentance, no changing of mind, for verse 30, as ye in times past have not believed God, and yet you have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. So have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. And then Paul says, my goodness, he just throws his hands up. And he says in verse 32, he says, God has include, concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. My friends, I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what he's going to do, but I do know this. I know there's salvation in his son. I know that. That's all I need to know. I might not have all my eschatology right. I might not be right about last things and prophecies, and I'm not a big eschatological student anyway, but I'm right about this. If you're out of Christ, you're blind as a bat. And if you're out of Christ, you're as lost as you can be. 
And if you're out of Christ, you're in darkness. And until you come to him, until you believe on him, until you call out in your own way, you don't have to walk an aisle down here. I think you should confess him. If you've never done that before, if you've never been baptized in his name, I think you should do that. He commands us to do it. But I can't talk you into believing in Jesus. That is a work of grace that God, by His Spirit, through His Word, must work in you. If He puts a desire in your heart to call on the name of the Lord, the Bible promises you shall be saved. For whosoever shall confess with his mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. That's wonderful news. The poor Jewish people, let his blood be on us and on our children. And brother, it's been on them for 2,000 years. And like I keep telling you, People want to go to Israel. They want to go over there and see that wailing wall. That wailing wall is a testimony of judgment. That wailing wall is not a testimony of blessings. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 36, that the wrath of God is on every person, whether Jew or Gentile, whether American or European, black or white, Asian or Indian. The wrath of God is on every person who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who has not come to him. I remember years ago, Pat Steele, who's here today, Pat Steele asked me a question years ago. He asked me a question about the sons of Ham. You know, Noah had three sons. He had Japheth and Shem and Ham. And anthropologists tell us that all the races of the world are made up really of three, three races. Now, we've intermarried and all that. And we've created other cultures and other races. But they come from those three boys who are the sons of Noah because God wiped out the world and he started over again with three boys. Okay? Now, Ham is the father of the dark races. That includes... Not just people from Africa, it includes Egyptians. Of course, a lot of people don't know that Egypt is in Africa. All the dark races come from Ham. So Pat asked me about that. He said, what about that curse that Noah pronounced on his son, Ham? He said, what about that curse? Is that a curse on the dark races? I said, here's the thing, Pat. All of us have curses on us from what we've done and what we've said. Wish we hadn't done this, wish we hadn't, but we did do it and we did say it. But all of the curses are lifted in Christ. Amen. All of the curses, any curse, Noahic curse, curse of anybody or anything is lifted in Christ. If you come to Christ, then you become a blessed person. You're blessed. You might have trouble in this life, in this world. Through much tribulation shall you enter into the kingdom of God. But you are blessed if you're in Christ. Let's stand together.